certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh, God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. The defence's contamination theory was described today as purely speculative. In closing, the state told court Bradley Edwards' DNA was left under Kira Glennon's nails as she was fighting for her life and in doing so took a piece of him with her. Welcome to day 87 of Claremont in Conversation. You're with Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Damien Cripps. Well, Tim, after a couple of failed attempts last week, today the prosecution's closing argument finally got underway. Yeah, that's right, Nat. A couple of false starts last week. Um, but, yeah, we were there this morning, uh, bright and uh, relatively early, and uh, it all did go off without a hitch today, which was uh, which was pleasing. Um the, all the families were there. Uh, it was it was almost back to the future because the, the court was closed. Um, there was, uh, you know, a sort of anticipatory buzz amongst those gathered in court. The media benches were packed. The uh, court sketch artists had their pencils sharpened and their paints flowing. And, uh, I mean, the lady we all wanted to see last week actually did turn up. And uh, once she got on her feet, there was uh, there was no stopping her. She did rattle through to this uh, today. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we got today what we were hoping for last week, which was uh, the, the beginning of the end, I suppose. Yeah. And I guess for those people who've never sat in on um, closing arguments, I mean, just before we started recording this podcast, we were talking to you and saying, you know, it is a marathon, isn't it? Like it is massive to sit there and listen to this massive summation. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the uh, the bigger the trial, the bigger the closing, I suppose. So this won't be a, a short one. Um, it'll be a few days rather than a few hours, which is the sort of the regular time for closing arguments. But there is so much to go through. So Miss um, Barbara Gallo sort of started um, where she wanted to start today. Um, so it wasn't chronological. Um, uh, this is a sort of greatest hits. Um, if you like, and uh, you know the best, greatest hits albums have the real bangers up front, and mm-hmm. so that's what she uh, that's what she brought today. We started with the DNA, and then we just moved on to the fibers, and um, when we when we uh, closed for uh, at four o'clock, so. Yeah, a, a fair bit to go, yeah. um, but it really is a boiling down, a filtering of all the main arguments to to really try and hammer home the point to Justice Hall or the points to Justice Hall that they really want him to uh, to go away with. Um, and so that's uh, that's what she uh, started on um, this morning and this afternoon. That's right. And and as you were saying, you know, she really started out with, um, you know, exactly how the state say that Kira Glennon died and how Bradley Edwards' DNA got under her nails. And she outlined that in a very clear way. Yeah, it was it was at times um, quite blunt, quite dramatic, um, and at times quite detailed, like it had to be because the DNA evidence was detailed. But it all boiled down to this DNA under Kira's fingernails and Miss Barbara Gallo outlining how they say it got there. Um, and how they say it couldn't have got there. Um, and so, as you said, Nat, um, we had a, a, a very brief summing up of how they say it did get there. And that was in a struggle, in a fight for her life, Kira, 
Um, and in doing so, she scratched Mr. Edwards so hard that her nails broke. But the, the, the strength of that fight also managed to take a piece of Mr. Edwards with her, which then um, lingered under her nail for all those days that she was out in the elements. And then it was taken straight from the nail into the Allotop container. And that's where it remained until it was discovered in 2008. That's what they say did happen. And what the prosecution say didn't happen was some sort of catastrophic contamination event at Path West, which would have meant Mr. Edwards's DNA finding its way from another sample into that fingernail sample and then over to the UK. And Miss Barbara Gallo is very careful in the way that she went through that. She basically detailed the contamination events that were raised during that DNA portion of the trial and shot them down one by one or certainly tried to. Um, in by describing um, them in, in general terms and then describing them in detail um, and then in summing up, pointed to once again using the phrase or paraphrasing the phrase that we've used many, many times as what are the chances or what would be the chances of that contamination event occurring uh, in general and then making the very salient point and of all the DNA that had flown through Path West lab over all those years and it just happened to be the DNA of a man that we now know admits um, abducting a girl from Claremont just a year before Sarah Spears um, disappeared um, and raping her in a very callous and brutal way so um, you know that was that was the real um, last nail um, in the DNA coffin if you want to put it that way mm. that Miss Barbara Gallo tried to point out I mean, it, it's actually quite extraordinary um, just the way she picked apart this theory really piece by piece, didn't she? I mean, it was excruciating detail almost in terms of, you know, this flowchart of, of exactly uh, when samples came into the lab, when they went out of the lab and how there was no possible way they could have ever crossed paths. Yeah, and that, and that pick apart is is obviously part of Ms. Barbara Gallo's job, a main part of her job, because if this theory is going to be floated, um, then it's, uh, you know, it, it is their job to, to try and convince the Justice Hall to just brush it away and, and, and say to him it could not have possibly happened. And this is why we say it couldn't possibly happened. And so, as you said, Matt, that is how they did it, with a timeline, basically, of when Mr. Edwards's DNA um, from other samples arrived in the lab, when Miss uh, uh, Glennon's uh, fingernails arrived in the lab, and they say never the twain did meet. There was no possible source mechanism that this contamination event could have occurred, um, because on the one hand, or the first possible event, it was 13 months between Mr. Edwards's DNA being opened in the lab and those fingernails being um, examined. And then at the other end of the spectrum, it was four and a half years between the, the, the other possibility when um, Mr. Edwards's DNA was examined in 99 and Mr. Lennon's fingernails were again examined then in 2004. And they say those expanses of time just just don't compute with what the defence suggests might have happened. Mm. Damien, how important do you think this part of the closing is in that I guess what the prosecution's doing here is giving an explanation for any doubt, um, or in this case, every doubt raised by defence? I think, Nat, that it's 
it's it's always different in different cases. Um, and in this case, it's actually quite an interesting um, question because you've got this magnificent mind at the start of the at the top of the pile in being Justice Hall making the decisions. Um, sorry about that phone going off in the background, but that's just life continuing on. The, the, you've got Justice Hall sitting at the top of this consideration and he's trying to, or he's got all the evidence that's been put before him by the <clears throat> prosecution and the defence. So he's already got in his mind a whole um, series of um, ideas about what's happened and how things have gotten to the point where they've gotten to. So in this closing moment for both the prosecution and defence, you get an opportunity to refresh him, to say, we know that you you don't say we know, but mm-hmm. the, it's, it's, the judge will know, or the um, justice hall will know, the prosecution already know that he knows most of these things because he's seen them in, ev- in the evidence as well. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, but let me remind you, if you're thinking of considering the defence proposition that contamination has occurred, here's all the reasons why you can't. And we said all these things. But it's in some cases, there's really, really um, different lines of clarity. So there's sometimes things are really clear, but sometimes things are not really clear. And what's during my course of following what's been going on, the evidence in this matter, what I found was that some of the comparisons between DNA and DNA and comparisons between fibres and fibres have been difficult to follow. They're not always really clear. I mean, so what the opportunity here is for the prosecution and defence to do is uh, systematically go through and get rid of all the unimportant stuff and speak directly to the things that they think are important. So the closing in most matters is really important, even though it seems like they're, as Tim put it, and it's not incorrect, that you're running the greatest hits. You know, you're running the greatest hits, but you're just trying to, let me give Tim another one, is don't bore us, get to the chorus, rather than, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the, you're running the greatest hits, but you're only running them in the sense that this is the really important mat- part that matters, and this is why you should, you know, rate it. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that um, prosecutors said today was this is why um, Justice Hall should accept this version, and that's, that's ultimately what you're trying to convince the trier of fact to do is accept it in your, favourable to your case. Yeah. And even coming up with, um, you know, what is going to make your greatest hits, if we're putting it that way, because I was sitting there and thinking today, seven months of a trial and condensing that into a two days of closing, you know, in this podcast, we struggle sometimes to condense, um, you know, six hours of court into 30 minutes or an hour. And I just think it must be very difficult to know what are the things you must hit on in that closing. Well, I think that in this case, this is um, when you've got a case like this, um, there is a great opportunity for grace for both counsel because, as Tim pointed out, they will close uh, for a couple of days. I'm, I'm not sure how long um, the prosecution will go for all the defence, but I understand that it will be for two or three days. Now, what happens in the system is counsel will get back to their office after their first day of closing and both counsel will be provided by the court a transcript of the proceedings. And in that transcript, they'll hear, they'll be able to see every word that they said verbatim. So every word the judge said, every word that um, anyone in the court said, it comes to them verbatim. So what you could, what you'll be able to do in that situation is sit back with your transcript and your um, 
precursor of your 20 greatest hits or whatever you, you know, we were talking about the greatest hits. And you'll be able to go through the transcript to make sure that you hit on all of the really, really important points. And then you'll be able to, you, you know, for tomorrow, you'll, be able, you'll, you'll have a draft of what you're going to say um, in the second day. But when you cross-reference cross it with your transcript from the first day, you might look back and go, I don't really think that I hit home hard enough on that. I need to bring it up again tomorrow. And of course, you can do that. They'll be able to do that tomorrow night as well. But in a, in a shorter case where there's not as much material, obviously, you don't get that opportunity to get the transcript and double check what you've, that you've you know, crossed all your T's and dotted all your I's. So I think that um, there is a great advantage in a big case like this. And you get, you know, a day to basically 12 hours to go home and consider what you've said that day and be sure that you've said what you wanted to say and come back tomorrow and, and, and pick up any points you might have missed. So, yeah, it's a, it, it's a, it's an advantageous position to be in when you when you get a couple of days to close, I think, Nat. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I find that really interesting that they're potentially changing their closing submission on the run because I sort of had thought that, you know, they would have made this phenomenal speech and then they were going to deliver it as is. But, you know, to sit back and take it all into account um, is really interesting. Sometimes what you'll find in these environments is um, the the judge or the justice or the magistrate, whoever it is, will, will, will well, you're making your closing, will interrupt and say, oh, you know, you, you say that, but what about this? You know, sometimes, so it does become a little organic. You know, it does become a little bit, um, it can become, because what they're doing when they do that is they're turning your mind to something that they may not have resolved in their own mind yet. So that, that, that could, you know, in a transcript, you would see that when you got back to your office and you'd be like, oh, um, the, the judge or the magistrate or whoever it was said that. And at the time, you might not have picked up on what the, they were actually trying to um, get you to resolve for them. But when you get back and you're in a bit more of a relaxed environment, you're sitting in your office, you might go, oh, I know what that means. I'm going to go back tomorrow and talk to that point. So yeah, it, it, it is really possible that prosecution are in the, the office right now making um, significant changes to any angles or what they might have said today or what the judge might have raised. So, yeah, it, it, I think it's very possible, Matt. Mm, very interesting. Uh, Tim, so some of the key points that um, Ms Babagallo ha- honed in on today, um, such as the Pathwest contamination and, and another thing that was interesting is she went into really great detail about the proven contamination. Um, mm. and, and and what did she have to say about that? Yeah, so these were the, the events that were raised in and around this, this time and in and around this case as well. I mean, and she, she grouped them into, into three um, sort of uh, groups of contaminations. The bulk of those were being were direct staff contaminations. And she said they were explained by the fact that, well, look, there was 8,000 samples. Um, you know, if you're looking at, all the testing done, it was a, a massively small percentage of unfortunate events that occurred, and most of them occurred as a result of direct contact between a, a Pathwest staff member and um, either direct contact with an exhibit or direct contact with the lab that an exhibit was processed in. The one that she was really at pains to look at was this cross-case contamination. And this we discussed at length during the the trial um, or the evidence in the trial. And this was 
the piece of vegetation that was found on Jane that was later found to have DNA from a completely different case. And that is what Mr. Jovic will point to as saying, well, look, it happened here, so maybe it happened there as well. And so Ms. Barbara Gallo really honed in on this and went through how that occurred. And the explanation was that there was a run, a DNA run done using a batch of tubes, um, test tubes um, on uh, on a Friday. And then after the weekend, another uh, DNA run was done using the same batch of tubes, not the same exact tube. And that was the sample that was taken from this piece of vegetation that was found on Jane. And somehow a piece of DNA from the first run um, involving the case A, it was how Miss Barbara Gallo um, phrased it, had found its way into another tube um, on this batch. And that's how it got, got to be later discovered on this piece of vegetation that uh, was attached to Jane. And what she pointed out was, look, that's a very small window. They were consecutive DNA runs, and that is nothing, absolutely nothing like what we have with the, the fingernails because the DNAs were hugely apart. Um, the, Mr. Mr. Edwards' DNA and Kira's DNA was hugely apart in terms of time, in terms of circumstance. And so, again, we say, the state says, yes, that happened, but it didn't happen anything like um, what could have happened in in the in this crucial dna so your honor you can discount it and so that's what she was doing she was getting ahead of the curve if you like anticipating what mr jovic is going to say in his closing and getting getting her bites back first and she will hope that that uh, argument is convincing enough that miss miss that justice hall yes will look at it but will then basically side with her yeah. And so really, I mean, at the end of the day, she was almost with um, with that sort of proven contamination, really questioning the relevance, which is something that we had discussed several times in the podcast. Uh, mm. Was she also asking or was she also talking about the fact that defence hadn't necessarily proven how their contamination or how they believe uh, the contamination had happened with, uh, you know, the Bradley Edwards DNA being under Kira's? fingernails very much so um it, the whole line of that portion of her closing was it's all speculation your honor they can't point to any time or any place or any person um that this thing could have happened um the the the, the two samples weren't ever in the same room together at the same time but in fact that the as I, as I mentioned before the time differences between the DNA of Kira being opened, the fingernail pot being opened, and Mr. Edwards's sperm sample um, from the rape being opened were massive gaps in time, and 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 it was just impossible. Or it, it, according to Miss Barbara Gallo, it's just impossible that this thing could have could have occurred the way that the defence postulated could have occurred. So the way she phrased it was, those stars just never aligned. They never lined up. Um, in such a way that Justice Hall could find that it could even possibly have happened, let alone did happen. And Don't... then you look at well, what the other alternative is. Mr. Edwards was scratched in a fight with Kira, and that's how it got there. Damien, does that um, 
weaken the defence case? Oh, so I always get all the good questions, don't I? Like <laughs> so, <that. laughs> so, so yeah, ultimately, what oh, that 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 question means to me is: Does that put the accused person in a more precarious position? Yes. I, I think the answer has to be yes. But I think what's really important about me saying yes to that is is that it's got to be measured against a whole a, 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 a myriad of other things as well. So. That that would be a question that um, is unhelpful to the, the accused person, you know, in that they say if if the judge accepts the prosecution's um, submission. So their submission is there's nothing that will that lines up in the terms of this cross contamination. So you need to disregard that. So that 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 that's the whole point about the closing. It's just a submission. You know, we say you can put this to the side because it doesn't line up. Now, if obviously, if the trier of fact, Justice Hall, accepts that, well, that's unhelpful to the accused person because that's one possibility that, you know, so I'm just trying to unpack this a little bit. That's mm. one possibility that doesn't help raise reasonable doubt. So, so there's a whole bunch of backwards... Um, gymnastics going on there but essentially we have to remember that the starting point is the prosecution have to prove beyond reasonable doubt and they say here's some dna and then and then you know the trier of fact then says okay well here's some dna and they start thinking about what that the impact of that dna is well the defense might say and that's and the prosecution um are preempting that the defense will say but there's a possibility that there's some cross-contamination and that, Your Honour, is reasonable doubt. Well, what the prosecution is saying is you can put that out of your mind when they do raise it because it, it doesn't line up. So effectively, if the, the, the um, if Justice Hall accepts that, yeah, that's, uh, that's um, going to ha have, a I would have thought, an adverse impact on the accused. But it's not the, the make or break because it's in amongst a whole series of other... Um, questions that the trier of fact will have to ask themselves. I'm sorry that's a bit long-winded, but <laughs> the, the, the question, in my view, um, warrants it. Yes, I mean, it is like a, you know, triple-back somersault with a double twist, isn't it? Absolutely, <laughs> very well put. Um, and, and I guess we would have to assume that Mr Jovic, he would have also anticipated this coming up in the closing arguments. Well, if he didn't, he'll then have the transcript and he'll be back in, back in his office preparing himself for it. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's always the interesting uh, dichotomy of how these closing arguments are, are framed. It, it is always done in this order. So the prosecution goes first because it's his, their, their case to prove, obviously, and then the defence goes second. Now, some people argue, well, the prosecution is at an advantage because they can get all their shots in first. But as Damien's just said, it also gives a very clear um, map of to the defence on on exactly what they think is most important and and as you say you've got you've got time then to tweak your closings um to uh, you know to have a go at, at, at the uh, the prosecution's main points so you know this it's a it's a double-edged sword um and ultimately obviously um justice hall the last thing he hears um, a, a, apart from maybe some of the media clapping him out that it's finally <laughs> over um, is the is the defense's um you know uh, final push to the line
Yeah, that's right. And Tim, another interesting part of Ms Barbagallo's closing submission today was the reference to um, Edward's guilty plea of the Karakata rape. Yeah, so that came up um, in, in several aspects um, in terms of, well, you know, we, we didn't have to prove that that was Mr Edwards' DNA in the Karakata rape. Um, samples because he's now admitted those. Um, so there, there is that. Um, there, there is the propensity um, in terms of, and we'll hear a lot more about that in the coming days. I, I'm assuming, but the propensity was um, that he has now admitted that um, he is the type of man to do this um, at, you know, at that time in history at that point in, in Perth, um, in Claremont, and, and that's why I mentioned that, uh, you know, the very um, sample that he said to, by his, his lawyers to have contaminated Kira's was the sample of a man that, that had done those things at that time of night um, to a lone girl walking away from Claremont, which is obviously exactly what um, Kira was as well. Yeah. Um, Nat, sorry, can I just ask Tim a question? Um, Tim... Can you has the, has there been a ruling on the propensity evidence yet? Um, well, As in, has it been admitted? Well, the, I mean, the, I mean, the whole allegation, I suppose, has been admitted, um, Damien. So there is no argument. There can be no argument that that he he did those things in in Claremont and and in Huntingdale because he's 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 pleaded to those allegations just before the um, just before the trial began so um in terms of the actual propensity evidence the 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 facts for Karakata have never been read out in terms of this is what we allege you have done and you agree that you have done that so it, to those um specifics no is the answer to the question but in the in general terms and and particularly in terms of the physical evidence that goes with those crimes um that they they can't be argued against because they are now before the judge and and haven't been challenged in any in any really detailed way in, in terms of mr yo which has never said well we don't say that is um, we say that's not mr edwards's dna um that hasn't been the argument the, the argument is well, yeah, it's his DNA, but we argue as to how it got um, onto onto Kira's sample. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I, uh, finally today, Ms Barbagallo uh, closed with a part of the trial that many people found very hard going, the fibre evidence. <laughs> and it was yeah, interesting. I started twitching. Yeah. I we, there was quite a few of us in the media section that were triggered when the, the, the word by the word fibres. Um, I bet. And, and Justice Hall as well, right? Because he actually raised queries about the fibre evidence himself. Yeah, he did. But they, were, they weren't... Uh, Queries as to how how long is this going to go for this Barbara Galley? Because I can't, I can't, I don't think I can stand it anymore. But it was more, it was more to the point, um, and uh, and it goes back to a previous point you were raised with Damien about, you know, the flow of a of a of a closing argument, and you've got it all written down there. But um, Justice Hall was very, um, uh, he must have asked two dozen questions today, I suppose, which would stop the flow, but also give a hint as to where his thinking lies. Um, and the main uh, question we had about fibres towards the end of the day was Justice Hall uh, revisiting that quite contentious part of um, uh, of Dr. Um, uh, the 
the fibre evidence where Dr. Palmer said he at one point he said he thought that the evidence was so strong that it actually proved that Kira and Jane had been in that particular car, in Mr. Edwards's car, the one BPX car. And if you remember that, he let that, that was, you know, mm. it was a very strong statement to make, and it was towards the end of one of these um, long days of evidence. And then Dr. Palmer came back the following day and backed away from that statement. Uh, basically yes. on the back of some questions that um, Justice Hall had asked him. He says, is that really what you're saying? Is that really possible? Is it possible to say that with such specificity that, that it could be that car that they were in rather than it, it, it was a car with th that interior and that particular boot fiber, uh, boot, boot carpet, with, you know, which, which shed that particular type of fiber? And Dr. Palmer eventually settled on Yes, Your Honour. I went too hard there. I could say it, I can say with you know almost you know uh, well, very surely that it was that type of car because of the combination of fibres. But I can't say it was that yes. particular car. And so that's where this portion of the closing went to today, where Justice Hall was saying, "I just want to get this absolutely clear, Miss Barbara Galley. You're not saying that these fibres, uh, combination of fibres, point directly." squarely and specifically to Mr. Edwards. Are you, and she said, we can't say that, Your Honour. But what we can say is those combination of fibres point to someone who, A, wore that particular type of Telstra workwear, B, drove that particular model of car. And we know that, A, Mr. Edwards ordered some of these pants via Telstra in the years before these murders, and B, was driving that particular model of car at the specific times of those murders. So it's circumstantial evidence, yes. obviously, but it's they, the state says it's very strong and very compelling circumstantial evidence, um, which we will hear more of in the morning because uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be dreaming of <laughs> fibers again tonight because that's what we'll be waking up to on Tuesday. That's right. And uh, do you expect that Ms. Barbara Gallo will probably get through the rest of her closing submissions tomorrow? Cause we are up to fibers now. Um, so some, some hints and um, uh, allegations this morning <laughs> that she might go to Wednesday lunchtime. Oh. Um, and then Mr. Jovic gets his go, and we weren't really sure how long that might his closing might go for. Um, but once again, the suggestion from those who, who, who might know more than me um, is that it could go. Um, his closings could go now a day or two, so we might well be um, right up to uh, right up to Friday. Um, yes. So there's no rush, obviously. There's no timeline. There's no uh, there's no deadline. They they get to take as long as they need. Um, and uh, and yeah, and it, I, and the, the the suggestion is Mr. Jovic might take a little longer um, than we anticipated. So um, you'll be here. <laughs> our poor listeners will be stuck to me, stuck with me until Friday at least. And another week, quite possibly. Thank you both so much for today and thank you for joining us. We will be back tomorrow for day 88 in what is most likely to be the final week of this marathon trial. So join us then, Nat, Tim and Alison tomorrow for Claremont and Conversation. See you then.
This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.